Hello everyone and welcome to Book Solid Podcast. We are your host, I'm India. And I'm Soraya and welcome to our very first episode. Before we get started, um, we just kind of want to share with you guys what you can expect from our show. So every two weeks we will be on here discussing a different book. Uh, But when I came up with the idea, I really wanted it to be like a virtual book club. For quite a while, I've been wanting to, you know, join a book club, but I had a lot of trouble finding a community and now we're in the middle of a pandemic. It's not really feasible. And so I was trying to think, you know, how could I create a virtual book club? And I was wondering the best way to go about this. And I kind of had the idea to, hey, maybe make a podcast out of it. And when I looked at you know, who else in my life would be as into this idea as me? Because let's face it, I don't think anyone wants to hear one person talk for an hour. Um, I immediately went to India because she's the only person I know who loves books the same way that I do. And so we came together and we've created Books Solid. And we really want this to be a community. So we want you guys to read along with us. We want to hear your thoughts and opinions. And we're going to post our schedule in advance. So you can find our schedule on our Facebook page. You can find the link uh, always in our show notes and you can find it on our Instagram. So we will post the schedule um, about a month, a month and a half in advance. So you know what's coming up and you have time to read. The podcast isn't live. So, you know, there is kind of a barrier in being able to communicate with everyone. But since our show comes out every two weeks, kind of what we've decided to do for now is if you would like to be featured on the show, go ahead and send us an email at booksolidpodcast at gmail.com. Just be sure to send it a week prior to the release date. So, for example, if an episode is coming out on August 3rd, make sure to send us your email by July 27th. We'll respond to your email directly on the show, and then you can listen in and hear yourself the next week. At the end of each episode, you guys can stay tuned for our donation of the week. Basically, with our donation of the week, it was really important for us as two young Black women to both educate and give back. And so um, each week, we're going to be finding a community or an organization that reflects some of our beliefs and moral values. And we're just going to use our voice in a way to amplify those communities and give back. Spoiler alert! Hey guys, just as a heads up, we will be revealing spoilers in this episode. If you haven't yet read the book or seen the show or film, this is a courteous reminder to proceed with caution. Today we're going to be discussing Little Fires Everywhere by Celeste Ng. So let's jump right in. Um, I think that the idea of Shaker Heights provides the residents with a safety net that doesn't really exist. I think mm-hmm. everyone who lives there is just a little bit disillusioned about reality. Um, and I think we'll really get into that more when we talk about the characters, because I think specifically Elena and Lexi really fall into this little bubble of thinking that the world's a picture perfect place and Shaker mm-hmm. is you know, the perfect town that they all dreamt that it should be. And I think they're just very out of touch with the realities of the world. Shaker Heights, like you said, like it's this idealized suburban kind of planned community. But one thing that I got from that in and of itself is I remember during high school, I was reading a bunch of dystopian books and it seemed like almost everyone exclusively started with this idea of like a utopian society. Mm -hmm. And I felt like Shaker Heights was trying really hard and 
any single time in any of these books, anytime you try and do a utopian society, you're almost guaranteeing the exact opposite to happen. Things are yes. going to upend, things are going to unravel, unfold. And I think we see that just because, like you said, I mean, with Lexi and Elena, they're trying so hard to ascribe to this idea of perfect when in actuality, we're humans, things are going to come up. And it's almost like the same amount of energy they put into trying to make everything perfect was the same amount of energy they got back in things kind of, you know, unraveling. Falling apart. Yeah. 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 It's just perfection. It's just not attainable, you know, Mm -hmm. for a person, for a whole city. Definitely. Right. Right. Well, I know we're both itching to get into Miss Elena Richardson. (laughs) I'm sorry, Mrs. Elena Richardson. Yes. (sighs) Okay, both in the book and the show, I just didn't care for her. I think as a character overall, she's irredeemable. You know, I kept waiting and waiting for her to wake up or to do something that can undo some of the damage that she's done. But I feel like she just continues to get worse and worse. Yeah, I agree. She was pretty insufferable in the book absolutely terrible in this show and you know like on a we'll work our way into why we feel that way but for me one of the very first things that sticks out to me about elena in the book and the show is she's really into this idea of appearing to be a good person Mm -hmm. you know she's like uh, wants to be seen as a do-gooder and she's so generous and kind but i do not feel like she is those things for the sake of just wanting to be a good person i think she just wants people to think she's a good person right it's for appearances and she just kind of has this self-important attitude and something that really stuck out to me in the book was when she went over to see mia to do like a check-in on the house she just dropped by unexpectedly and she saw mia's photographs hanging up and she you know she was complimenting her she offered to buy one of mia's prints mia you know was mia about it and kind of mm-hmm. didn't really give her a full response and then elena said she felt a twinge of irritation at the lukewarm response to her philanthropy <laughs> and to me it's just so telling because okay if you want to buy her print because you love it let that be that but it's like right. why do you need her to acknowledge that you're being so kind and generous by offering to buy her prints she's a photographer people buy her prints all the time it's not really that big of a deal Right. Yeah, I definitely get the sense that she's just self-entitled. She feels in her brain that her approach to life and her beliefs are right and that anything against that is wrong. You know, she Mm -hmm. has a very black and white perception of the world. And the fact that Mia is, you know, the complete embodiment of the opposite of that just pisses her off. And for most of the story, I think we sit in this gray area. And, you know, to see her kind of working through that, it really just adds to the conflict overall, I feel like. Mia has disregard for the rules of Shaker. Mm -hmm. She does what she wants. She does it when she wants it. And Elena just can't stand her, you know, lackadaisical behavior. And Mm -hmm. so I think, you know, obviously that is very much a contributing factor to the tension between the two of them. For sure. Lackadaisical. I love that. Perfectly describes Mia, I feel like. Yeah. Most definitely. And moving into some differences between Elena in the book and Elena in the show. I think another reason that Elena was so resentful of Mia is because, at least in the show, in a way, she reminded her or showed her everything she could have had. This isn't really like talked about in the book very much. 
but Elena kind of sacrificed a lot for her career and in her personal life to kind of get mm. the future she always wanted. And so, you know, she feels like she there's things she gave up, there's things she didn't get to do. You know, she wanted to be a successful journalist. In the, the show, it really highlights more. She had a relationship with someone prior to Bill uh, in college named Jamie. And he was very like, fly by the seat of his pants. You know, what's going to happen is going to happen. And she loved him, but she needed structure and order. So she left him and ended up marrying Bill. But in the show, we come to find out that Jamie's now a writer for the New York Times and Elena is still stuck in Shaker writing for the local paper, covering, you know, the construction of a new library and things like that. And so I think for her, she felt, okay, these are the things I have to give up to get the life that I want. You know, her family and a husband who kisses you when he comes home and, you know, the stability. But Mm -hmm. even, you know, even though Mia and Pearl live a very unconventional nomadic life, they're happy, they're satisfied. And Mia, most of all, is doing what she loves. So I think there's just a a contrast there for Elena, who thought she had to play by the rules and do everything exactly right to get the future she wanted. And while she might look down on Mia and Pearl's life, I think there is kind of a resentment or a jealousy in seeing Mia get to do the thing that she loves. And she didn't have to sacrifice the things Elena did for it. Absolutely. Especially in the show, they did a great job highlighting that. But I feel like just the acting, like Reese Witherspoon's facial some of the times, it just summed up without words even. Like Mm -hmm. she hates the fact that Mia is able to follow her dreams in a way that Elena couldn't. Mm -hmm. And in the show, Elena be cheating. Like she was cheating just on her husband multiple times. And like... Like just too really quick to add on to that point. It just really shows her kind of like selfish behavior, mm-hmm. I guess. And how she, she's just very self-oriented. Like she was totally using Jamie anytime she was feeling low, sad, mm-hmm. depressed. She used him to get a taste of the life she could have had. After she had Izzy, she went and almost cheated on Bill with him. Mm-hmm. Or I can't I can't remember the extent of what happened, but it was, you know, I think she did. They like went to uh, a hotel, I'm pretty sure. Oh yeah, and they were going to, and then she like freaked out and left. And then when oh, she that went, was right. When she went to New York, I think she was trying to get information about Mia. She mm-hmm. met up with him again and kissed him. And it's like, you know, anytime she's just feeling sad or lonely or not the best about herself, she uses Jamie. And I'm so glad he called her out on it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you can't just show up in my life when you need to feel good. And the fact right. that she doesn't even see it, he goes off on her. She doesn't even understand what he's talking about or where he's mm-hmm. coming from. That's great writing on behalf of the author, Celeste Ng, and the showrunners. You know, it just further illustrates the fact that Elena is so, she's so quick to judge Mia and everyone else when they don't ascribe to her notion of perfect. However, her herself, you know, she's able to just do whatever she wants willy-nilly and she gets a pass for some reason. You know, it's just a complete contradiction. The thing Mm -hmm. that really stands out to me the most with her character was when she found out the truth about Pearl's father and she took it upon herself to tell Pearl mm-hmm. to me that was so nasty so spiteful and she did it purely in a retaliatory retaliatory manner towards Mia she had no regard for Pearl's emotions you know this is a 15 year old girl who doesn't know who her father is obviously like this is something she's wanted to know her whole life she doesn't really Mm -hmm. know the full story and to get back at her mom you you know drop this bomb on her with no regard for how she's going to react or how this is going to affect her in her life just to know you're getting one over on Mia disgusting I could not and the face that because I think um after that Elena drops Pearl off and the mm-hmm. look that she gives Mia. Oh my gosh. And like, I feel like <laughs> Mia knew in that moment. It was just chilling. I always reference that's one of the scenes I think about the most in my head is just how could you do that to another mm-hmm. person? It was just such nasty behavior. 
See, that in that moment, I felt like that's when I knew definitively that there's no turning back with Elena's redemption arc. Mm-hmm. She's just trash. She's she's the villain, argue, arguably, of the series. And like you said, to do that to a 15-year-old girl who clearly is going through it, like she's, for the first time in her life, really disagreeing with her mom. So she's kind of looking to Elena as this like alternative to this more carefree environment that she grew up in. Elena knows that, and you know, and she manipulates Pearl. She's very just cunning and very intentional. Cunning is a perfect word. <laughs> and know? the more, yeah, and I feel like the more Mia tries to tell Pearl to be careful of the Richardsons, at least in the show, the more that Pearl leans into them. Mm-hmm. Because she just, and I hated to see that kind of division happen of Pearl putting her allegiance and her trust into the Richardsons instead of her own mother. She just didn't understand where her mom was coming from. And she really like let herself be manipulated by Elena, who did not have her best interest at heart at all. You right. know, and she, she kind of, Pearl started to act like just because you have money, that made you better, more trustworthy, the more reliable source. And so I think she just kind of really fell into this pit of the Richardsons. Yeah, that's an interesting way to frame it because it just reminded me of like, you know, just a general story archetype that we hear a lot and in real life is this idea that strict parents create sneaky kids. I feel like Little Fires Everywhere completely like flips that notion on its head. Well, I'll hold off because when we get into the Richardson children, I think that's still kind of true. But in the case of Pearl, just in the context of what we're talking about right now, I feel like by her having such a carefree life for most of her life and having a mom who isn't that strict, she gravitates towards this perfect, air quotes, routine lifestyle of Elena and the Richardsons. And her mom is just kind of like, you know, that's it's not as great as it seems. Like, it looks like they're perfect and it looks like they're happy, but this woman is dangerous. And, you know, you need to, like, proceed with caution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. And we can go ahead and move into Mia because mm-hmm. I think there's a lot to be said there. And I think the first thing to to point out is the difference in the appearance of Mia and Pearl in the book versus the show. So in the book, their races are never clearly stated. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the show, however, we know that they are Black. And Celeste Ng said that she purposefully left their races unidentified and that she had wanted to make uh, Mia and Pearl women of color because, you know, that would kind of add another layer to the story of mm-hmm. different challenges they face with the Richardsons being white and Mia and Pearl being women of color. Mm-hmm. And so um, I read an article, I believe, where she said that the reason that she didn't Uh, include that in the book was just because she didn't really feel like it was her place to write about the life experiences of you know a single black mom and her daughter Mm -hmm. but the showrunners were able to you know take that idea and incorporate it into the show and I think it does really provide an interesting additional layer and allows for a deeper conversation in the show that we couldn't have or didn't have in the book yeah and kind of going with that Um, I think about that part in both the book and the show where Elena asks Mia to be like a housekeeper or like kind Mm -hmm. of like a maid. And (laughs) so, first of all, you don't just ask someone to do that. But in the book, there's like these clear appearances with class, like you pointed out. And, you know, for someone who I would say I'm picturing Elena and the Richardsons to be probably upper middle class, maybe even upper class. And so 
it's pretty apparent that Mia and Pearl are not that, right? right? So, you know, that's you don't just ask someone of lower class to clean up after you and your family. But exactly. then, um, you know, in the show, once we have the element of race, we see race and class intersecting to even just amplify um, the fact that that's even more wrong, you know, because of the history in this country you know, with the Black community and slavery and Jim Crow era. And so I really like how in that moment in the show, the actress who plays Mia, Carrie Washington, she just has this look on her face and it just completely like exemplifies the fact that that's wrong. Like she's like, I'm a Black woman and you're asking me to clean up after you because you're, you know, you, you've come to the terms that I'm struggling with money and this is your solution. Like, so you're racist yeah. and classist. And <laughs> I know? think like Elena didn't even realize, in my opinion, she didn't seem to realize what was wrong with her asking that, mm-hmm. you know, like she was like, oh my gosh, like I just have the perfect solution. Why don't you just come work in my house a couple days a week? You have time for your photography. And it was typical Elena being like, wow, I'm just being so generous, so kind. <laughs> I'm giving her a job where she has time to work on her art and, you know, just being so completely oblivious mm-hmm. to the full weight of her question, you know? Right. And then she has like a brief moment where she realizes she overstepped when she sees, at least in the show, when she sees uh, Mia's reaction and she's just kind of like, oh, shoot, like, um, well, you know, you don't have to. And then but I noticed in the book, in that scene, at least like you could tell Elena is much more forceful about it. And then Mia ends up obliging and agreeing because she's like, well, at least I can keep an eye on Pearl this way. Right, and, yeah. you know, learn more about this family that my daughter seems to be attached at the hips with. And so uh, she ends up agreeing. But I'm just like, mm-hmm. Elena, stop. Quit overstepping. Yeah, I totally agree. And just kind of like open your eyes. Wake up. Mm-hmm. to the situation so yeah. um continuing to talk about some differences with mia one that i didn't really understand that they changed was mia okay well first i loved book mia i thought mm-hmm. she was really she always had pearl's best interest at heart mm-hmm. she was a caring character kind character you know a little sassy but like she was funny and i just i thought she was a really well-rounded good character mm-hmm. however in the show, I wasn't crazy about her. Like, she she was kind of, like, there were just some things that they changed that I wondered why, why they did. Yeah, like, she was just a little bit more on edge with people. She was a little bit more confrontational than she was in the book. Yeah. And, like, like something that um, sticks out to me in the book, when Lexi got an abortion, Pearl took Lexi to her house, and Mia took care of her. You know, she fed her and you know made sure she was recovering okay and was kind of supportive for her or supportive um throughout her recovery mm-hmm. and in the book i mean in the show pearl still took lexi there but mia was much more short with her she was not very comforting she mm-hmm. was basically just like you know what deal with this and i can't remember exactly what she said but she like criticized her right about needing to take care of herself instead of always having other people taking care of her Uh, Something I liked in the book was Mia's relationships that she developed with the Richardson children, you know, specifically Izzy and Lexi. And so to see that totally removed, it was a very interesting choice, in my opinion. Yeah, I felt like in the book, this idea of motherhood was like a very important theme. And Mm -hmm. so it kind of took away from 
Mia being like a stand-in mom because at that point in the story, Elena's gone. And so Lexi's like, I need, you know, mother like figure to, you know, work through this abortion. And it was so nice to see in the book, Mia's like, I don't care about, you know, your mom and your family. I just care about you. Like you're going through it. I'm here to help you. But in the show, like you said, she's 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 more cold about it. And it I'm Mm -hmm. not sure that it worked. And I feel like they just tried in the show with the way that the shots were matched and the editing and the rhythm and the pacing of everything. I felt like they were making more of an effort to make Elena and Mia match each other more. But I'm not sure that really went in its favor because in the book, Mia was more reserved. And I felt like she always had a bigger plan in mind. She rose above, whereas in the show, I feel like she sinks to her level. And I don't... I don't really, I didn't care for that, you know? Yeah, and because to me in the book, like, Elena's clearly the, I would call her the antagonist. You know, Mm -hmm. I I would say she's the least desirable character in the book. And Mia, you know, was one of my favorites. So then I'm watching the show and I'm like, yo, Mia's kind of not great. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm not really feeling her. One of the things they took out in the show um, that really disappointed me was when Mia and Pearl were evicted by Elena and they left, Mia left prints for all of them, like mm-hmm. photographs she had taken, one specifically for each person. And I feel like each photograph really showed how she got to know that character. For example, for Lexi, it was a photo of she had taken the the slip from the health clinic when she got the abortion, like her, her paperwork, and she had shredded it up and she had placed a heavy stone in the center. And so the slips of paper were holding the stone and it was bending, but it wasn't breaking. And it was because after Lexi's abortion, you know, Lexi asked Mia, how am I ever going to get through this? And she told her, it's just something you're going to have to carry. So, you know, it was like seeing the weight being held. She could carry Mm -hmm. it. It wouldn't break her. She would get through it. And it just, I loved that moment. That was one of my favorite moments in the whole book because it shows Mm -hmm. how observant Mia is. And it just said a lot about her character. And we just didn't get that in in the show. And yeah. um, I, I missed that. I missed the character that she was. Right. And it was it was the most Mia thing she could do. <laughs> and so I'm glad they ended on that note mm-hmm. uh, in the book. But I just felt like, you know, by keeping that in, it really spoke to Mia's character. Because, you know, Elena just evicted her. She's like, I don't care about you and your daughter. However, in the book, at least, it's like Mia is still giving gifts. Like she's still, you know, working on other people other than herself. So I agree. I wish they would have kept that in the show. She did leave that model of the city. And, you know, she was making a different point, you know, in the show, leaving that than in the book of leaving the prince. Um, But I just think that the prince really showed it was her telling them, like, I see you. And mm-hmm. in the in the in the book at least saying I see you and it's okay to be you. I kind of want to just talk about her relationship with her art professor Pauline because in the book I felt like Pauline was kind of like a stand-in mom figure that she didn't really have um, anymore because her relationship with her mom was kind of severed when she made that decision, and so Pauline like. I would say there's a comparison to the way Pearl looks up to Elena. I felt like Mia looked up to Pauline because, you know, she's just like everything Mia wanted to be at that time. She was very successful, even though... At least Pauline wasn't toxic, yeah. I felt like she wasn't, at least in the book. And, you know, even though she was a professor, I she 
seemed like she lived like a pretty, I would say like upper middle class, upper class lifestyle in New York. Um, And so she was kind of like a person that could guide Mia as she's like kind of trying to figure out who she's going to be. However, in the show, Mia and Pauline have a relationship. They were together. They were dating. And I just want, I'm curious to know why the showrunners chose to go in that direction, because I personally, I didn't feel like it worked because it kind of took, you know, in my head, I'm picturing like this familial kind of connection between the two. And then to make it into a relationship, it seemed kind of predatorial. And then I understand like she's an adult. She can do what she wants with her life. However, at least in the book, they clarified that she was 18 at that point. And I always just kind of pictured Pauline to be like 40s, 50s. And so there's there's like this uneven um, dynamic in power. It just it completely changed the meaning of their relationship, I felt like. Yeah, it just wasn't imp- appropriate, I feel like, to engage in a relationship with because like P- Pauline was also her professor. Right. You know, and I, I can't remember now in the show if that class had already ended and when they got together. But still, it's just kind of like, you know, it really flirts with the line of being appropriate. And like you said, you know, like Mia really looked up to Pauline. She was a role model for her. She's someone she aspired to be. And like, obviously, Pauline knew that. And, and and again, what you were saying is I like the relationship between Pauline and Mia in the book where she was a mentor, where Pauline and her wife, Mal, um, or her partner, Mal, they never specified if they were married or not, but they kind of like took Mia in, they took care of her, they wanted mm-hmm. to make sure, you know, she always had a place to stay and food to eat. And Pauline was just really wanting to help Mia grow as a photographer. She recognized the talent in her. And that was her like main motivation was, you know, I want to help this girl blossom into the person that I know she could be. And I really liked to see that there. I've done like some reading online and people are kind of torn about the direction they went in the show because a lot of people were really happy about the representation in mainstream television. But some people were not happy with it because they were saying like in the book, Mia has never been in a romantic relationship and it's kind of implied that she may be asexual. And a Mm -hmm. lot of people are saying there's no asexual representation in the media. So they would have been happier to see that instead because that's never depicted or even really talked about in television, in film, you know, mainstream television, mainstream film, and even, you know, the most popular books. So I saw that there was a lot of kind of conflict there um and so even that's something too is like so to have mia be she's like this hypersexual being in the show there's Mm -hmm. nothing wrong with having sex like i'm not trying to condemn her for that in any way it was just Mm -hmm. such a night and day difference of her character i mean like having sex with that guy in the car while baby pearl was sleeping in the back seat Mm. it just did not seem like a mia thing at all like mia would never do that with her daughter (laughs) in the back seat you know what i'm saying so I just really was curious um, of why they kind of went in that direction. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And you know this, but like we've talked a lot about how important representation is in the media. And it's something I myself am constantly talking about, constantly thinking about. And I think it is kind of frustrating because I agree, like we there definitely is a need for more LGBT plus representation in the media. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of times um, in mainstream television and film whenever it comes to representation there's kind of like this carelessness 
and they're just kind of like, here you go. Like you wanted a same sex relationship. Well, here, we'll just throw it in or we're going to, you know, hypersexualize this black woman for no reason. I was just going to piggyback really quick. Like you guys cannot see us, but we are both black women. So obviously, you know, we have very strong feelings about representation in media because it's just so lacking. And it's like, don't throw in a character, like a peripheral character, just to say you did it, just to say, okay, you wanted, you know, an LGBTQ character. Here you go. You wanted a black character. Here you go. But it's like the mom's aunt's cousin's best friend. You know what I mean? Like, don't just be lazy about it. Yeah. And it's just like, like you said, there's nothing wrong with Mia being confident in her sexuality and willing to explore the mm-hmm. realm of um, sexuality because there should also be more representation of Black women outside of heteronormative structures. So moving on until the Richardson children, let's start with Izzy. Yes. Izzy, I really like Izzy. I think she's a great character. She's willful. She's passionate. She decides for herself what's right and what's wrong. Mm-hmm. Whereas all the other three kids are, they kind of just go with whatever their mom says or whatever they think they're supposed to do and shake her. Izzy fights for what she believes is right. And I love that she is so fiery. I mean, for goodness sake, she made it into my, one of my favorite literary characters for our Instagram. I love Izzy a lot. I think she's great. Yeah. And just kind of following up on that, it's so nice to see Izzy's character in contrast with the rest of the Richardson kids, just because mm-hmm. of the fact that Izzy's existence is a mere like reinforcement of the fact that you don't have to necessarily be a product of your environment. Yes. And so even though she's born and raised in toxically perfect Shaker Heights, she does everything in her power to self-educate and to kind of unlearn Elena's upbringing and Elena's very rigid structure. And so I think that's the reason why Elena really, I guess, I wouldn't say hates, because I don't know that a mother could hate their own kid, but she definitely, Izzy's not her favorite. I, you know, we know that much. And so I think that's what some of her, her beef is with Izzy is just the fact that regardless of how hard Elena tries, she can't change Izzy and she can't mm-hmm. shape her. Control her. Exactly. Yeah, I think too, Izzy and Elena's relationship is so interesting to me because it's so multifaceted. Like there's just so many layers as to why the relationship is the way it is. Mm-hmm. And so going into the book's explanation of why the relationship is the way it is, Elena always had this idea of how her life was going to be. She wanted to get married, have a nice house, stable job, lots of kids. So her and Bill, you know, went to work right away on their children and she was able to conceive all three children quickly, efficiently, no problems. Izzy, you know, child number four, ended up being born prematurely. She spent weeks in the hospital. They didn't know if she was going to make it. The doctors advised Elena that she could have a lot of developmental issues as she grew up, you know, if she did grow up. And so Elena was terrified of something happening to Izzy. So she just constantly had a very watchful eye on Izzy and she was just always on her way more than the other kids because, you know, when she was a baby, she kind of had to keep that extra eye on her and it kind of just evolved into the relationship they have now. But what's interesting is in the show, um, Elena did not want a fourth child. She was tired. She was done having children. She wanted Mm -hmm. to go back to work. And when she got pregnant with Izzy, it was an accident. And she even talked to her mom about it and kind of said like, well, what if I don't want this baby, you know, trying to suggest that maybe she wanted to get an abortion and her mom was like we don't do that and so she had Izzy and resented her for it and so I just think it's interesting to see those two polar opposites in the book and the show of in the book she's like she's so um 
she's so hard on Izzy because she wanted her so much and because she loves her so much. But in the show, she's so hard on Izzy because she resents her so much. Yeah. And what's interesting is, to me, Izzy's character in both the book and the show mirror Elena's, at least what Elena was. And because they always hint, like, Elena had that same fiery spirit, that same, you know, take charge kind of demeanor about her and that she kind of got subdued in her age. And so it's just interesting that all of the things that she doesn't like about Izzy, it's implied that that's how she was when she was younger. Mm, that's interesting. That's true. I, I didn't think of it that way, but kind of like the same reason she doesn't like Mia is the same reason she doesn't care for her own daughter. And Izzy is kind of a reminder that Elena had to give up or she felt like she had to give up this lifestyle she wanted for, you know, more for more safety and just more, you know, structure. Just one thing both in the book and the show that really got me with Izzy is I just felt like she needed a hug, <laughs> you know? Someone felt... just love her for who she was. I mean, is that so much to ask? Right. And it's just like, I don't know. I Especially just the fact that she is the youngest of the Richardsons. You know, she's young. And the fact that she has no support from her mom and then her dad, from what I understand, he's more supportive. However, ultimately, he's going to side with Elena. And yeah. so she just kind of felt like she had nowhere to turn and... You know, repeatedly, Elena is just like, why can't you be more like your sister? Why can't you be more like Lexi? Like, that's the last thing, you know, a developing teen needs to hear is you comparing them to their older sibling who who is actually not that perfect <laughs> either, which we're going to get <laughs> yeah. into. But yeah, I just I felt bad for her, but I felt like she was so necessary for the story. I feel like for Elena, Izzy was a living, breathing reminder of you can do everything right and you're still not always going to get what you want. She challenged Elena's entire belief system. Mm -hmm. And because we know Elena and Shaker, this idea that there is right and there is wrong. And if you do the things you're supposed to, you'll get the things you want. And I mean, I think this is, holds true even in the book and the show that, you know, she quote unquote did everything right. She wanted to have a big family. And so she got pregnant and took care of herself. And then, you know, Izzy was still born prematurely and still, you know, put uh, Elena through what, you know, was one of the hardest times of her life, wondering if her daughter was going to be okay. And even in the show of, quote, doing everything right, okay, she had her kids, she got her family, she was going to go back to work, and then she got, she accidentally got pregnant. And so mm -hmm. I feel like just in both the show and the book, it just shows Elena, like, doing what you feel you're supposed to do or what you believe is right or correct does not always give you the outcome that you want. And I feel like that's another just layer of Elena's contempt for Izzy. Right. What I really love for Izzy was that she was able to find, you know, that surrogate mother in Mia. That Mia, you know, took her for who she is. Like, you know, she didn't tell Izzy, you're too rambunctious, you're too loud, you are too angry. Like, she didn't tell her any of those things. She just let Izzy be Izzy and kind of gave Izzy a safe space outside of her home where she felt like she could be seen. Yeah, there's this part in the book where I believe it's right after there's like this racially charged incident with Izzy's violin teacher. Izzy feels and, you know, is able to acknowledge that the teacher's wrong and she wants to stick up for the student who the teacher um, was kind of picking on. And so she then goes home. And at that point, Mia is she's housekeeping and cleaning up. And Izzy vents and explains what's going on. And Mia says, what are you going to do about it? 
And mm-hmm. like that was groundbreaking for Izzy because she's like, what? Like someone is actually encouraging me to think for myself and to navigate right and wrong on my own and, you know, not saying I have to follow the rules. And so I think that was kind of a turning point where she's like, okay, I need to, you know, start spending more time with this woman. Um, Yeah. Like I have an ally here. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think just another contributing factor that just furthered the bond that Izzy had with Mia versus the lack of one she had with her own mother was because in the show, you know, we find out that Izzy is exploring her sexuality and, Um, You know, it's actually it's caused like this huge rift between her and her best friend because they were found kissing at a party and the friend acted like Izzy came on to her when they had actually been in a relationship. So now she's facing, you know, bullying at school and, you know, she's going through a really difficult time. She doesn't feel like she can go to her parents about it because they're not going to understand. And of course, Elena does not. Bill kind of knew. And I feel like Bill, it's implied that Bill was more supportive, but he still never really I I don't remember him directly like having any kind of conversation with her about it. And then when Elena found out, she kind of just went into denial like, oh, that's not true. Like, she's not like that's just not what's happening. You know what I mean? Just another Mm -hmm. way of just like forcing her daughter to be the idea that she has for her instead of just letting her be who she is. And Mm -hmm. so when uh, Mia and Izzy are talking and Mia tells her about her relationship with Pauline, it was just another way for Izzy to kind of have someone who understands you know how she feels what she's going through and who is just allowing her a space to be herself to reaffirm it's okay to be who you are you don't have to suppress any part of yourself you don't have to hide any part of yourself for the sake of others yeah and um i'm not sure i from what i remember they don't really specify izzy's sexuality in the book um Mm -hmm. however i'm glad that they included that in the show just because what we were talking about earlier i feel like that was a step in the right directions towards more positive representation for the LGBT plus community. And mm-hmm. I, f- I like that me and her were able to bond over that. Because like you said, I mean, I feel like Elena was somewhat, you know, embarrassed when she found out that mm-hmm. um, Izzy was having that relationship with her classmate. And so, you know, it's just an- yet another way that Izzy is different in a way that Elena doesn't approve of. And I'm so glad that she was like a mother-like figure when her own mother pretty much disowned her. And so, yeah, she she needs a hug. (laughs) She does. She needs a hug. And the actress who played her, I feel like she did an incredible job in the show and just made me like Izzy even more. So, (laughs) Yes. And just speaking on um, casting really quickly, I feel like the casting for the Richardson family was done so well. Mm -hmm. I could see them really being a family. Um, and just kind of segueing into Moody, Ellis, is there anything else you wanted to add with Izzy? No, no, I am ready to talk about Moody. Although okay. I should warn you all, like, I don't have a lot to say about him. Sorry. <laughs> yes. Okay. So, um, when I was just really briefly, when I was in high school, whenever we had like an essay prompt for whatever reason, call it teenage rebellion, but I was that kid that just had to to myself before we started writing what is everyone gonna go with and I was like well what can I do that they're not gonna talk about and then just argue it it was extra like just just do the damn assignment but I think it was just I was just trying to challenge I guess like what was common and if I'm gonna do that right now I would dare say Moody I wouldn't say he was a villain but I think that he was paralleling Elena in ways 
more than maybe is apparent from the jump. Just like in the sense of the fact that I don't think from the beginning to the end, he really had a redemption arc. I think he does get hurt and the hurt that he feels is definitely valid, but I just don't feel like he grows at all. Like there's no growth in his character. He's just static from the start to the finish. So it was maybe a reach for me to say that he's like, again, he's not a villain, but I think he thinks like Elena that she's always right. Um, I do like the fact that him and Izzy do seem to be close somewhat, but he doesn't really stick up for her, in my opinion, in the way that he maybe should in the way that she would feel more seen and loved in a way. Yeah. To me, he's just very tepid. He's very flat. Like his, like you said, his character doesn't really do much. Um, He doesn't have any kind of arc. He doesn't grow in any way. Um, And everything we really know about him is kind of through the lens of his relationship with Pearl. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't really know who Moody is outside of his friendship with Pearl and oh like you were saying of all the richardson children he know he does seem to be the closest with izzy and he does stick up for her occasionally but he he doesn't have you know her back in the way that he should because he's in this book he's always talking about how he thinks he's the only one who really understands izzy and you know yeah like he there are a few instances where he kind of sticks up for her but it's he's lukewarm he's just he he doesn't really have a lot behind him and like you were saying, when he found out about Trip and Pearl's relationship, like, I get it, you know, that'd be a hardcore bummer for anybody. But the stuff that he says about her, like, if this is someone you care about, you're, you've are you said you've mm-hmm. had a crush on her for months, you don't flip the script and say those kinds of things. And I love that Izzy called him out on it because there was a part where he was like, I knew her first. She was my friend. I'm the one who even introduced her to all of you. And in the show, Izzy's like, you are such an idiot. Just because you knew her first doesn't mean you own her. You have no claim to her just because you want her, you don't get to have her. If you wanted to be her friend, he should have been her friend because, you know, he enjoyed her company. There shouldn't be this expectation that I've been her friend and I've been there for her. So now because I like her, she needs to like me back. Like, I don't understand this kind of entitlement he has over Pearl. Yes, I'm so glad you said that. And I'm really glad they included that in the show just because I feel like it definitely reflects real life. Like, I feel like there's an issue in our society with men feeling like women owe them some kind of you know either like explanation or like relationship from a friendship mm-hmm. platonic relationships are a thing you know you don't need to take was... it so personally if someone is not into you people are into and not into people all the time you know what i mean sometimes people just don't like you exactly. it's the way life works rejection stings but that's it let it sting and move on yeah and like i'm really sitting here trying to think i mean throughout both the book and the show I don't think not once did Pearl really imply that she was romantically interested in Moody. I don't think she like made a move on him or anything. And so for him to be, I mean, it sucks that of all people she likes, it's his brother who, you know, their relationship was kind of rocky. But I'm just like, she doesn't owe you a relationship, a romantic one. Your guys' platonic relationship was very sustaining, very fulfilling. And Mm -hmm. it, it is, like you said, it's entitled, like, you know, stop expecting every girl to just want to date you you know so segueing from moody into trip um what are your thoughts on trip because i feel i don't know i'm kind of conflicted on his depiction because it's kind of different from the book and the show yeah i um i don't know the richardson boys i kind of feel the same about them i feel like there's not a whole lot of backstory character development i feel like even less for trip than for moody that we get really anything from trip's perspective you know what i mean i feel like it doesn't happen very often at all we just you know we we kind of get 
information about Trip from Moody and from mm-hmm. Earl. You know, Moody thinks he's a player. He, I feel like he's kind of envious of Trip. He never says it, but that's kind of the feeling I get. And Pearl, we know she has a crush on him and she thinks he's super charming. And um, now I'm getting them mixed up. I think it was in the show when Pearl first came on to him. At first he was into it and then he pushed her away and he was like, what are you doing? Like, you know, my brother likes you. And so he leaves. But then, you know, he ends up coming back to her and they start a relationship. I can't remember in the book if he does that also or if he like what kind of reservations he has. I know that they keep it from Moody. Um, yeah. I think they, to try to spare his feelings, but... I think one key difference from the book and the show with their relationship is from the beginning of the book, Trip was kind of flirting a lot with Pearl. Like, he yeah. would make little comments. Like, at one point, she was wearing one of Lexi's shirts, and he's like, it looks better on you. There was, like, this bubbling tension with them, so it wasn't really that much of a shocker that they would be in a relationship. Yeah. I mean, we don't really... I feel like the growth of Trip's character is implied. You know, they keep telling us that when he's with Pearl, he opens up more. He kind of becomes a different person than, like, Mm -hmm. you know, the guy he was before just cycling through girls. And he does a little cliche thing of talking about, like, Pearl's unlike any girl he's ever met. You know, (laughs) like, that's an every teen love story. But, um, yeah, I mean, other than that, I I don't really... I feel like we don't get that much information on Trip. So... If we're to take everyone's word for it, or even like Pearl's word for it when they're together, he does seem like he changes and he grows as a person. Mm -hmm. Um, And I guess we have to take her word because that's all we really get on Trip. Right. And segueing into Lexi, Trip and Lexi are more so of Elena's ideal poster child than Moody and Izzy. Mm -hmm. Um, Just because from what I understand, they're both very popular in their high school. And Trip is like a top athlete. and I feel like to Elena, they represent more so of her very careful parenting. And so we really see that with Lexi because I, f- I feel like Lexi is a mini Elena. Like Elena really went off when, you know, her and Bill made Lexi because and even in the show, I felt like the casting, like she looks like a little Reese Witherspoon in my opinion. But oh, yeah, Lexi, Lexi's a piece of work. <laughs> I'll just say that. I am not crazy about her. I think she has the same kind of demeanor as Elena, Mm -hmm. where she thinks that she's such a good person and, you know, she has such generosity of spirit and, you know, she kind of just holds herself up on this pedestal that I just don't really think that she has a right to be on. The same way that Elena feels like she should be recognized for her actions, I think Lexi does too. Like there's a part where when she first meets Pearl, she's like, offering to give Pearl her old clothes or there's a part where she was reading a magazine and when she finished she gave it to Pearl and she kind of thought to herself she was like that was just such like a sweet teenager thing to do like she's kind of said something along those lines of like she just thinks she's really looking out for Pearl because Mm -hmm. she gave her some clothes and she gave her a magazine and she clearly thinks she's above Pearl because of like her wealth and her status and she's like oh let me just help this lowly girl who you know doesn't really know how to do her hair and I'm just gonna help her blossom like Pearl didn't ask for that Pearl didn't need it you're just kind of acting like you are better than her and she needs your unsolicited advice Mm mm-hmm Exactly. And Lexi was a horrible friend. Like you said, like she's very self-interested, to Pearl at least, when their relationship starts to develop. And we really see that with Lexi's abortion. Because when she gets to the clinic, it's Pearl's name that she gives. She doesn't ask. You know, she just does that. And it just goes to show. 
And I think she even says something like, Pearl is like, why did you do that? You know, I, I didn't agree with this. And she's like, well, I couldn't use my name. Why would yeah, I? Like implying like, oh, it's not a big deal for people to think Pearl got an abortion, but I have to protect myself and my reputation. So no one can know it was me. It's just so telling of who she is and how she thinks, you know? Mm-hmm. We also see that same kind of dynamic in, I know it's different, but the part when Lexi enlists Pearl's help when preparing her college essay. And so in the book... Pearl pretty much says, I'll write it for you. Like she's trying to become closer to her. And so in the show, however, she basically steals Pearl's story without her consent at all and then Mm -hmm. goes with it. And then I, I can't remember. I can't remember how Pearl finds out that she stole it. I remember they bring it up the first time at dinner. Mm-hmm. And Lexi's complaining about it because the prompt is, you know, name a hardship you've had in your life and how you've overcome it. And Lexi's like, what am I supposed to write about? And then Elena was like, oh, I'm saying how stupid the prompt was and that Lexi shouldn't be punished if her parents work really hard to give her a good life and she's never had yeah. to overcome any hardship, which is just like the ignorance I could not. And so then we find out that Pearl is not being admitted into a class that she should be in because she's black. Um, But anyway, Lexi finds out about it, takes it and acts like it happened to her, but that she was denied an opportunity because she was a woman. Mm -hmm. And when Pearl finds out, she doesn't really confront Lexi about it or really say or do anything about it. She kind of just lets it happen. Mm -hmm. And that's where we enter Brian. Shout out to Brian. (laughs) (laughs) He is Lexi's boyfriend and he's black and he is more upset about it than Pearl is. Yeah. I'm glad that they decided to include that moment in the show just because the fact that Lexi didn't think anything of it to just take Pearl's story, you know, she thought it was okay to just switch out the fact that Pearl was Black and she was dealing with, you know, racialized instance of oppression and then she changes it to her being a woman. Like, Pearl mm-hmm. is also a woman. Exactly. So just erasing that part of her identity in a way. Mm-hmm. I'm really glad because from what I recall in the book, Brian wasn't as outspoken. But in the show, it was almost like they were constantly arguing, but he was a way for Lexi to challenge her beliefs. I'm not saying she was listening to him. He forced her to face an outlook or a viewpoint that was not her own. Yes. And I think something that was really interesting is the fact that both Pearl and Brian are two of probably the only Black teen characters that we see in Shaker Heights. Mm -hmm. And so... I kind of got the sense that Brian would kind of approach Pearl with this idea, like, you don't have to ascribe to these notions. He's straight up. I I really liked his character a lot. He was vocal about, you know, why he felt the way he felt. And he straight up said to Pearl, you know, after he found out about Lexi stealing her, her essay and then Pearl being okay with it, they were all talking once and Lexi walked away and Brian turns to Pearl and he's like, you know, you don't have to be okay with all this stuff. I felt like he meant more than just the essay. He meant like, you know, Lexi's ignorance, the ignorance of the Richardsons, just kind of the microaggressions of the Richardsons. Because Brian mentions to Lexi, like, she always asks, why don't you like to come into my house? She's like, I don't want to come into your house because every time I come over, your mom feels need to inform me that she participated in the March on Washington. You know, they like act like they're okay with him being black and they think that they are, but Mm -hmm. they're not. Yeah, no, that's true. It's almost like Pearl feels like she has to just hide from her Black identity in order to uh, appeal to the Richardson children. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, but it's nice that Brian knows and he feels like 
I don't have to change who I am to make everyone else more comfortable. The fact that Elena would always tell that story, it oh, just goes I... to show, you know, like he, like we've been talking about, she thinks that she's just this great person and that it's so nice of her to bring that up when every single time it's just a reminder of her Probably, like, her apparent discomfort with the fact that Brian's Black, you know? Yeah, like, she doesn't know what to say to him or that this is something she's just hyper aware of. And it's just the fact that, from what I understand, Brian is, uh, he's a star athlete, he's top of his class. He's just a young man. Like, he's a teenage boy. He's getting ready to go to college. You could talk to him about anything, but for whatever reason, you constantly have to remind him that he's Black. And what I love too, like we, I know we said this before about Brian always being ready and willing to challenge Lexi in that conversation that they had telling her about why he doesn't like going to her house because to Lexi, she can't understand like, well, what's rude about that? And I feel mm-hmm. like trying to explain microaggressions to people who have yes. never been on the other side of it, they just don't get it. They'll always make excuses like, oh, well, maybe they were just, they might just be curious or they just wanted you to know where like people don't get it. And like, so I I just could see his frustration and trying to get her to understand, like, she's not just saying it from a place of kindness. I don't even know how to explain it in a way. If you've ever dealt with prejudice or discrimination, you will understand. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's the thing, like microaggressions, they're insidious. Like you don't even realize, or at least most people don't even realize the fact that they're being offensive and that the fact Uh that they're, you know, that they're wrong. I wanted to ask you, what your thoughts were on how Lexi approached the abortion in regards to Brian? Um, so I feel, you know, that's ultimately Lexi's decision. You know, it's her body. Mm-hmm. It is her choice. She gets to decide what is best for her body. The only person who was really there for her during that, it was it was Pearl and, and Mia, which, you know, it's fine. That helped strengthen or give her a relationship with Mia. But I yeah. kind of wish she told him so she could have mm-hmm. had a support system in him instead right. of feeling like she had to face it all alone. Because it really, I mean, and understandably had a huge impact on her. And so I remember in the times that they would hang out after, there'd be a lot of tension. And he was kind of always like, you know, what's going on with you? And I'm like, just tell him, tell yeah. him so he can be there for you. He can be supportive. And I mean, there's no telling how he would have reacted. Maybe that's right. not what he would have done, but I just hated seeing her deal with it all on her own. I agree. Um, I felt like she kind of decided on her own. He would think of her differently and that it would, you know, upend their relationship. And a couple of times he would make comments both in the book and the show about how his parents would, you know, completely disown them if he had a kid. Because I think at one point she just asked him, like, what if we had a kid one day? And he was like, what? Don't talk like that. Like, we're too young. And true, as we know, she's pregnant at that point. And she's just like, damn, like, you know, I don't want to ruin this relationship. So she felt the need to carry that um, decision on her own. And I agree, it's definitely her choice ultimately. But Yeah, I think if she would have just talked to him about it, um, she could have had more comfort and like more of a support system. Yeah, I think it is time to get to the question of the hour or the topic of the hour, which is BB, Mailing, and Mirabelle, whichever, you know, side you're on, (laughs) and the McCullough. Yes. Um, Yeah, it's it's an interesting, very interesting moral conundrum that Celestine created because I... I think on both sides that there's valid arguments and it's it's just tough. You know, it's a tough decision mm-hmm. that BB was placed in from the beginning. You know, when we learn more about BB's story, it really speaks to the class struggles in America, but specifically as an immigrant 
Um, she wrote about how BB just had a terrible, terrible hand that she was dealt. Like she was dealing yeah. with, you know, she couldn't get hired because of her limited English. Um, she's constantly facing discrimination in the workplace. And so like she just can't catch a break. And then, you know, she has this young baby. She's trying to support them. She, you know, she doesn't have enough money to take care of her properly. She tries breastfeeding, but Mei Ling wasn't really taking to it. So then she tries to go to the store to get formula and then runs into an instance there when she doesn't have enough money. And so I just really like my heart goes out to her. Like, I just I can't imagine what that must be like. And so the fact that she ends up putting up Mei Ling for adoption or she leaves her at a outside of a fire station, like that's not an easy choice for a mother to make, you know? And right. I think yeah. that we can't lose sight of that because I don't think for a second that she wanted to do that, but she felt like she had to. You know, I can't even imagine what she was going through in those weeks after Mei Ling was born. As you mentioned, she had just lost her job. She was also going through postpartum depression. And mm-hmm. so, like you said, I think she gave her up not at all because she wanted to, but because she had to. That was the only way she could save her daughter's life. But like, mm. Bibi was not in a good place, her own health, her circumstances. And so it was her absolute last resort. And you touched on it too in saying when she tried to buy formula for mailing what happened. And I love that they included this moment in the show because I think it really speaks to the prejudice that people face and that some people try to claim like, you know, it doesn't exist. And I believe the episode was even called 70 cents. But there's mm-hmm. a point when at the beginning of the episode, we're seeing the flashback of BB and Mei Ling and what the circumstances were for her. And, you know, she's at the store and her baby is in her arms screaming, crying because she's hungry and she's 70 cents short on the formula. And the clerk's like, if you don't have the 70 cents, get out. The episode ends with Izzy getting on a bus to go somewhere and she's 70 cents short and the bus driver's like, nah, go ahead. It spoke volumes to me. To see this young woman with a baby who you, the clerk knows she needs formula to feed her baby, had no ounce of empathy whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But Izzy could hop on the bus. Yeah, I think that was, again, a moment where we see um, race and class intersecting in a very mm-hmm. powerful way that wasn't really touched on in the book, but was so clearly illuminated in the show because, you know, what is the one thing that's different between Bibi and Izzy? The fact that Izzy's white and she does have that privilege even at like, I think she's like 14, 15. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's not to say that anytime anyone's short, you have to give them a pass, but it's just like to see no compassion. Like she's literally holding a screaming baby. Is there any humanity in this person? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, getting into the case a little bit more. I mean, I guess we, we read the book. We all watched the show. So we know kind of how the case went down. How do you feel about the verdict or just the McCullough's in general? Yes. So oh, the McCullough's. Um, Again, my heart does go out to them as well, just because their situation with trying, wasn't it like eight miscarriages that one yeah, had? Yeah, it was rough. Like when they get, it gave her backstory, I did really, really, really feel for them because, mm-hmm. you know, I just can't imagine that pain of wanting something so desperately that everyone else around you seems to be able to get so easily. Yeah. And like Elena is just popping out kid after kid mm-hmm. after kid and that's her best friend. And so... 
it's very apparent that adoption was important to them. And then, you know, they were so happy to have a baby to look after and care for. And given their upper class status, you know, it's very obvious that they were going to be able to provide for her financially in a way that Bibi wasn't going to be able to. Um, however, at this point in the story, Bibi is doing a lot better. She started working at um, a Chinese restaurant and she's she's feeling like she's more stable and that she's finally and a place where she can take care of Mei Ling, who the McCullough's rename Mirabelle. Yeah. Um, yeah. So with the verdict, I'm just going to say I'm not surprised at all what the final verdict came out to be, which was the judge cited in favor of the McCullough's. Um, however, it was very disappointing. The fact that I didn't get the sense that Linda and Mark were going to do the proper research. They took a colorblind approach to raising Mirabelle, Mayling, and I yeah. just think that was wrong. And I think it was ignorant. And in the book, during like the cross examination, Bibi's attorney really highlighted that he was constantly coming at her with these points of you know, are you going to take into account your daughter's race? Like, you know, are you going to raise her to be, um, you know, prideful and confident in her identity? But it's like, you have to really consider this when you're adopting how this is going to affect your daughter, who is a person of color. Like, you can't just take this colorblind approach. I don't think that's the right way to go. It's an important part of who she is. And she, you know, deserves to learn about her culture and her background and for her parents to be just as involved. Like you said, it's not something that you can just ignore. She's going to grow up. She's going to have questions. She's going to say, you know, why do I look differently than you mm-hmm. guys or differently than the people in this city? And they need to be ready to like educate her, support her. And what was really alarming to me in that scene was when he asked Linda what they're doing now to teach Mei Ling. Linda says, oh, my sister sent her um, a stuffed animal that she loves. It's a panda and she just Mm. loves it. She never goes anywhere without it. And I was just like, how unbelievably ignorant. Like, okay, you're basing what you're going to teach her in stereotypes? Right. Really? And even in that part, um, she also says there's a book that she reads every night to Mei Ling and in the book, there's five characters that are Chinese and the attorney's like, yeah, I know the book that you're talking about. And basically it's like, it's racist in a very like myopic, narrow minded representation. Like uh-huh. <laughs> that scene, that was just cringy. Like you said, like it didn't even cross her mind at all. And in the show, they kind of touched on it when they threw Mailing's first birthday party. I think Elena helped her prepare these fortune cookie little desserts. And it's just this tacky like inappropriate way to acknowledge um mailing's like identity but in a way that was based on stereotypes and they all just thought it was cute and funny if you have people just reaffirming your behavior and Mm. never challenging you to see you know why it's wrong if they had never had say that this trial never happened say you know mia never put two and two together and told bb where mailing was that is how they would have raised her you know they would have never had to go through the trial with the attorney asking her these questions of how are you going to educate your child? That is what they would have thought was right. That's what they would have thought was okay. And that's how she would have grown up with, like you said, this very, very narrow lens of who she is. Yeah, for sure. How how do you feel about the final verdict? 
Like you said, um, I don't think it came as a surprise to any of us. Um, mm-hmm. Even throughout the show and the book, I think we all kind of knew the McCullas were going to end up winning just because I don't want to be cynical, but it's how, how the world works when you have yep. status and money um, and privilege. Things tend to work out the way you want them to. Yeah. And like, let's face it, BB just didn't have the kind of means that they did. You know, as soon as BB showed up to their house, they were able to have lawyers involved, the police on their side, mm-hmm. like they had the means and BB didn't. I mean, if that lawyer hadn't offered to represent present her pro bono there would have never been a trial to begin with right. so you know it was just celesting further kind of exemplifying what just the differences as we've said so many times in this episode between race and class mm-hmm. and just shedding light on the fact that these these discrepancies exist and they do advance you in your life it can help you get the things mm-hmm. you want in life and i just think it was you know another example of her sharing that and yeah. um yeah and then I don't know, just so after we get this verdict, as we all know, BB goes on to I think it's like in the middle of the night, she takes her baby and then she flees town. Yeah. And in that moment, in terms of like what's right or wrong, I don't know. She felt like this was the only thing she could do in that moment. So the question that we have to answer is what did you like better, the book or the show? Um, okay. So while I feel like usually I'm very, very hard on anytime a film or a TV show tries to adapt a book, I'm like, they're going to ruin it. They're going to mess it up. I will say the show's approach towards the book was um, commendable. Like it exceeded my expectations. And I I like Mm. that they, you know, brought in this element of race to really amplify the conflicts going on and a lot of the central themes. Um, However, I'm going to have to say the book just because kind of like what you were saying earlier, I don't really like the approach taken towards Mia's character in the show. I think it made her less likable. Yeah. And I'll have to agree with you there. There are some things that the show was able to capture that the book didn't. And I was appreciative of those things. But ultimately... I loved Book Mia so much that to see her essentially a completely different character was Mm -hmm. a really hard thing for me to get over. So I also will have to side with the book. If you've only seen one or the other, if you only read the book or you only watched the show, highly recommend that you go check out the other. They're both a great read and a great watch. We'd love to hear your opinions on it. We will on our Facebook group. We have a page dedicated to Little Fires Everywhere. So any thoughts or opinions you have, please feel free to hop over there at Book Solid Podcast. I'd love to get um, other perspectives on this. Thank you guys so much for hanging out with us today. For more updates, you can be sure to follow us on Twitter at Book Solid Pod, on Instagram at Book Solid Podcast, like us on Facebook at Book Solid Podcast, and also join our group. Please stay tuned after the outro for more information on our donation of the week. For the donation of the week, we have chosen the NAACP Legal Defense and Educational Fund, America's premier legal organization fighting for racial injustice. It is no secret that people of color face immense inequality and injustice in our legal system. The NAACP Legal Defense and Educational Fund seeks to achieve structural changes to expand democracy and fulfill the promise of equality for all Americans. We all deserve to be equal. We all deserve to be heard. 
For more information and how to donate, please visit our show notes or go to our Facebook group, Book Solid Podcast, and click on Donation of the Week. Thanks, and we'll see you on the next episode.